say, they say we should have known better than to fall so deep down, deep down into this rabbit hole we found. And I was thinking, Hi, this is Nico. You're listening to my dad or fall, also known as the White Rabbit and James Jardine on the one and only Down the Security Rabbit Hole podcast. Buckle up and enjoy. Oh man. Oh my. I love it. So <laughs> that that I love the intro music, but I got my uh my son to do it. I was trying to get them both to do it, but I thought my daughter wanted the outro because nobody she's like nobody listens to that. It's like wrong. People will listen. Uh, but he did that on one take, and he added the buckle up and enjoy part entirely on his own, and I love it. <laughs> awesome. Nothing like a ten year old doing your intro for you. It's fantastic. All right, awesome. all right, all right, all right. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever the heck you are in the world, and whatever you're doing. Welcome down to Security Rabbit Hole to another edition of the Down to Security Rabbit Hole podcast. A, I hope you're live for this. B, if you're not live for this, I hope you get to watch the video because I have a treat for y'all. James, this is going to be fun. (laughs) I get a little worried when you've got some sort of treat for everybody. I'm I'm not sure if I want to stay on camera here. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. He goes straight for that. All right. Look, uh, I'm going to introduce a cadre of awesome people. uh, And then we're going to talk about the modern socks. So, like, let's dive into it. how about we go with the person that, that's uh, new to the show, bottom right, Eric Block. Welcome, man. Hey, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. You want to tell people uh, who you are and what you do besides just, you know, a face on a camera? Um, so my name is Eric Block. I currently run security operations for a little company called Atlassian. Um, I've heard I've of them. The, kind of the, yeah, the DNR game for the last 20, 30 years here. Um, and I guess I have some opinions people want to hear about. So, <laughs> Yes. And then... Uh, We'll go second. We'll go up into the middle here with uh, the guy in a jacket that I almost don't realize, uh, recognize, rather. Anton, welcome back. Uh, jacket, lapel mic, and an office background. I would use this video as proof to my boss that I've been in the office today, by the way. <laughs> Return to office. Yeah. No. <laughs> RTO, baby. RTO. All but he's right. not telling you, Raph, is it's proof that he's been in his boss's office today. <laughs> <laughs> no, and there's no, still no London. proof that he's wearing pants. <laughs> <laughs> that's enough. We'll just go, we're just gonna keep going. And uh perpet- perpetual uh happy guest, Mr. Jim Tiller. How are you, buddy? Hey, hey, how's it going? And uh no, I'm not wearing pants. No, just kidding. Um <laughs> yeah, it's good to be on, good to be on. I'm looking forward to this conversation. It's gonna be fun. All right. So listen, uh, as, as all good things do, uh, I, I think my best episodes start with somebody posting something on LinkedIn and I'm like, ha, that would be a great podcast. Eric, this one's your fault. Um, Jim mentioned earlier that we, back in the 490s, we did a, uh, Anton, you and I did, and some others did a, uh, bit of a conversation on the sock. I want to re up that. Uh, it's the end of 2023. Um, there are some market constraints happening, right? Uh, we're not exactly in, the, in, in a rapidly uh, growing, expanding tech bubble. I think the thing that's changed in the, uh, slowly and now very quickly over the last decade is that uh, salespeople used to sh- be able to show up uh, in the customer uh, selling security kit and people would just be like, here's money. Uh, I don't know what you're selling, but I'll take two. Over the last couple of years, that's gone. Uh, it, we're no longer uh, selling everything all the time uh, easily. So the sock has become a focal point for technology. Uh, and I think the way that uh, the labor market and global uh, macroeconomics influences all of this has something to say about it too. So Anton, I won't ramble, uh, but uh, inside joke, uh, but Eric, I'm going to ask you this question. What is the, since you're currently running one, what does the modern sock look like and how is it different? Well, as I've been doing some analysis the last, you know, six, seven years here um, between you know, different companies that have been in it, whatnot, I've been actually trying to tease that out myself. 
It's like when I was at a smaller company, yeah, it's fine. You outsource it to an MSSP. You, you shoot all your logs over there. They, they you know, have a magical black box and they start spitting out some detections for you. At the same time, like those MSSPs, they still escalate issues back to you. So you still have to have some type of function on your side that deals with something somehow. Um, when I started to move to you know, bigger companies um, and we started to in-house our SOC, um, I was trying to, again, tease out the, the differences between a, a managed service where you're outsourcing it and the SOC you have internally. And what I found, and probably and this isn't a big surprise to anybody, is your internal SOC ends up being more akin to like an IT help desk than it does like people behind the screens, you know, watching attack things happen and, you know, um, attacks in real life or whatnot and constantly fighting the bad guys. Half of the work your internal SOCs do is, you know, just answering questions. You know, someone's asking in a Slack channel, hey, I have a you know, RFP from a customer. Who do I give this to? Hey, my password got compromised. I have it reset. Hey, the VPN isn't working. Um, and that's half of the, the issues that your enterprise SOCs deal with. And most of those are them playing kind of air traffic controller and routing these issues to the right problem that can fix them. The other half of what they do is what you actually pay an MSSP to do. And that's looking at your you know, all your machine-based detections and noise, all the things that are coming out of all your blinking lights in your machines, trying to find all the bad things. That's the second half of the job that enterprise socks are doing. And so they have a, you know, depending on the company, it could be 60-40, 70-30. But what I've found, at least from my last three companies I've been at, it equals out to about 50-50 split between uh, what I call kind of human-generated events, where, again, Slack messages, emails, you know, um, Tickets being open, people calling you, reporting things, and your machine-based detections, which are, again, your, your SIM platforms, your CNAPs, your CrowdStrikes, whatever, mm-hmm. making noise. And so the, the, the disparity between, or I guess the delta between an MSSP and uh, an internal SOC is just that kind of that IT help desk function, which you kind of end up establishing anyways, even if you outsource your SOC, because, again, there's going to be an escalation path back to you somehow. And then you're still going to have, I mean, even if at the smallest company, you're still going to have people coming to ask you questions. Um, and so that human element still has to exist. Even if you're a one-man show or a two-person show, somebody still has to be there to answer those questions. Um, so I guess it, it it probably comes down to a matter of scale, you know, and, and kind of what your company does around which model probably suits you best. Okay. All right, Anton, I'm going to hold, hold you for a second because I know you, you probably have an opinion. I'm going to go down to Jim first. Jim, uh, you, you've we, we've together uh, – we we've sold sock we've sold sock adjacent services we've delivered them you've delivered them like I, we've been all over the place on the vendor side on this uh what do you see changing well i i think what's interesting about the conversation is is i i think it's still the the noise that we keep talking about that's being done in a sock you know and i think is when i think of what needs to change is getting elevating these types of services, you know, uh, not just because, you know, AI or whatever. I don't think that really, I, somebody had to say AI, AI first. So I took, I, I bit the bait. There you go. You, okay. Done. Drink. I, I took it. I took it. It's a check mark done off. But I think is, um, so let me just kind of share a couple of things. One is a lot of vendors aren't very good. There's a lot of them doing it out there and all they're doing is yeah. just compressing a bunch of information and maybe sends you a PowerPoint you know, on their QBR that says, this is the stuff that we found kind of thing. Um, I, I try to, I always, I still stand by the old confirm kill philosophy is that mm-hmm. that's my judgment of how good you are as an MSP. And I did that on the other side when we were doing, uh, things that nature. So you don't have this giant funnel of a billion things come to one ridiculousness. But I, I think for me is I'm still waiting for that next level. I know we talk about like threat hunting and stuff, but when, one, I don't think you should build your own, but I think when you do go look outside, you 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 need to look for more synthesized set of services, like kind of a uh, an infusion of endpoint monitoring, vulnerability, uh, th- elements of threat detection. That's where I'd like to see it go. I don't know mm-hmm. if it's going there yet. If I'm honest, I'm not sure I answered your question, Raf. But that's all right. I, that that that's good. I I. I... I, I like what you just what you just said, but I'm gonna I'm gonna pitch it to Anton. I'm gonna ask Anton the question of, all right, since we last chatted, Anton, has your opinion changed any on on any of this, and where are you at right now? I mean, I one other thing apart from rambling is that uh, since my end of these days, I've liked more narrow questions and liked the open ended questions less. So, has anything changed to me is kind of interesting because uh, I, at many clients. 
at many organizations, not clients, not, not, nothing to do with any clients of anybody, at many organizations, it feels like they're stuck in a little bit of 90s where the knock and help desk DNA define what SOC is. And I, I, there's not a pickup on Eric's point about help desk. It's kind of help desk in a different model, in, in a different uh, context. The context is that their SOC is kind of a derivative from their knock thinking from the 80s. Big screens, people watch the screens, something shows up, they do something, and then things either hit the fan because there's an incident or nothing happens. And we sort of, I see this as a classic SOC, and I see any improved version of that as a classic SOC anyway, not modern SOC. I, I do see the kind of like a dramatically improved amount of automation, kind of like pipelines, people writing code to do stuff as modern SOC. And how uncommon that is, like really uncommon. <laughs> but uh, again, Netflix 2018, right? Sockless approach to DNR. 2018 is how many years ago? It's been a minute. It's been a minute, exactly. So it it's the 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 elements of how to do that not only have been known for five, six years, they've been done. And you know, not only here at my day job, but also at, at, at some other really good places, right? So there's sort of an alternative, but I, I don't see any kind of snowball increase of that approach. I still see people say MTTD, push 10 minutes out of my MTTD. If instead of 20, I now have 10. And it's like, sure, I can do one second. I can click close alert in one second. And then I'm going to be an <laughs> MTTD winner because I'm going to MTTD in one second. But yeah, no, this is not, I, I SOC is not help desk. SOC is not a knock focused on security. It's just something different. If, if done well. Yeah. Let me, let me, okay. I'm going to put, pose this to everybody. James, feel free to jump mm -hmm. in. Uh, since you, you mentioned it, Anton, the knock and sock have been historical. They were one thing. Then they were pulled apart. Now they're completely and wholly uh, separate things. And in many companies, and I can I, I I can actually name a few that I've recently spoken with, those two organizations flat out don't talk to each other. They don't like each other. They mm -hmm. they compete for tech and for budget and stuff, and it's not a good relationship. Mm. Uh, that's a problem. Does anybody else see yeah. that as uh, a problem that's getting results? Because I where I'm going with this is I've seen a couple of orgs start to merge them back into one, like the sock and knock. Hey guys, start sharing tools, start sharing and under working on tickets together. Anybody else seeing that? May I have a, offer, a very brief comment on that? Maybe yes. that would frame the discussion. I promise to be brief, not going to ramble. So your, your question actually kind of made the brief epiphany in my head is because I tend to hate Sock and Nog being together, but I think I hate Sock and Nog being separate and hating each other even more. So there's okay. probably a collaboration model that's the right approach, but I hate both merger and hostility. Okay. I think I'm somewhere in the middle. Uh, okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask more about that, but anybody else want to jump in, Eric? You, you seem like you're about to say something. Um, I think some of that depends a lot upon kind of your the company itself, the company culture. Like I've been places where they've been very adversarial. I've been places where they work together really well. Um, if anything, if if we do see friction between you know kind of competing uh, silos within the company, like I'm not sure if that's due to the job they actually perform, or if that's more due to you know management or cultural issues. Um, Especially when you have you know an adversarial relationship, I mean that's not because people want to be that. We all want to collaborate. We all want to work. Something else is probably broken to the fact that they're that they are adversarial like that. Here, I mean, here at some of my past roles, I've had wonderful relationships with the people that are kind of running our our cloud environments, tech ops, DevOps, cloud engineering, whatever you want to call them, um, because I mean we need to partner with them. I mean, half of the work, or not half the work, but a large chunk of the work that we're, we deal with works with deals with them. Like we need to partner with them. We need to be effective and, and, you know, again, not be adversarial. So if that's going on, I think there's probably other problems happening behind the scenes. Um, that's yeah, fair. Eric, you took the words out of my mouth. I was going to say layering mm -hmm. issue. <clears throat> I do see a lot of people trying to share, especially when you look at tools, 
like large scale yeah. tools, ServiceNow, whatever, insert your favorite tool, Jira, whatever. So you see some of that happening, but then you may have leaders who may be very much kind of trying to protect their domain. And so yeah. there's not a lot of crossover, but you do find, if you peel out the covers enough, you'll find people inter, inter, interacting with one another because, you know, maybe the performance guy who's, you know, is really kind of interested in sort of what the implications are. Are you seeing this from a security perspective? So I think you, you still see some more organic pieces of it, but will they ever really actually come completely together again? I don't think so. I think there's just too much security draw, you know, there's that, it wants to be special off to its own a little bit. Yeah, I think, I think that's is that dying down though. Like, I mean, I feel like that was the whole mm. thing. I mean, even when you look at like DevOps and DevSecOps and all that stuff, right? Like, we have to be separate so we draw attention to it. But then ultimately, we should be drawing back together, right? And it, I mean, I I posted in the chat, right? Like, I'm gonna go back through all the episodes where I said the sock and knock should be the same thing. Like I've said this for years, I don't understand why it's so separate. But that's, you know, I mean, I'm not a sock or knock person, right? I live in the, the development world, the AppSec world, where I would argue that AppSec should be part of development. That shouldn't be a whole separate thing. DevSecOps shouldn't be a separate thing. It should be DevOps. Like, we got to get to that point where we start merging that stuff back together. Because as everybody's pointed out, you look at the tools, right? You're starting to see the tools now kind of cover both scenarios of what you're mm -hmm. doing. So why are we going out and buying this tool that covers 90% and this tool that you know covers this 80%. And if you look at the Venn diagram that we know somebody in the country really loves, then you know, you'd look at it and see, like, look at all this overlap that we have, and yet we still can't for some reason talk to each other. You know, and we see that with the performance, right? Like I see performance alerts come through and it's like, all right, like, are you guys seeing this? Like this request just took six seconds longer than it normally does. It's at a fourteen hundred percent increase. Did somebody see that over here? Right. And if we're not putting those together, then how are we going further with that? And the longer we keep them separate, right? It's like, oh, well, the performance team's monitoring that. The security team's monitoring this. Like, we're going to get that stuff. And Raph, you had a good example a while back about, you know, a system where it's like, well, I look at this and then I look at that and you put them together and they make sense. Like, yep, that's an attack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the but attack, separate, yeah. I, nobody sees it. Yeah, you know, it's but I'm getting get a point. 2003 vibe from this convo. I don't know. I'm just getting a very strong 2003 vibe from this convo. So, like, deep in your heart, Raf, is this like still a big debate with your clients? Like, I I'm just like a little feel old and sad a little bit because it's like <laughs> I, I think I've, wrote, I've written a paper on this in 2003, literally, and I'm kind of depressed that it's still a thing. Okay, so There's no coherent operational model that works. Yeah, let me give you a couple of data points. Uh, yeah. Yes, th those conversations are absolutely happening uh, on a regular basis. And something that I recently heard that you'll find interesting is, uh, and the example I used going back into late 90s, early 2000s was when an outage happens, something breaks, the app is down. Mm -hmm. The network team, the security team, and the app team all get on this giant conference bridge and everybody mm -hmm. blames security and security is mm -hmm. like, no, it's not us. It's this. And so I heard this great phrase. Uh, somebody's tracking this internally. Meantime to innocence. Okay. <laughs> what that means is how fast can I get off this con call? <laughs> it sounds like it's very much the opposite of blaming this post-mortem. It's just like that is one, that is blame, exactly it. That's intense right. blame rich Blame focus postmortems. It sounds like you're describing an blame, approach of like it's not even postmortem. It's blame focused triage. Yeah, blame uh, like it's triage, happening yes. right now. I want no part of it. I just need to demonstrate that it's not my fault, so I can get out and go do my job. Yes. While I sympathize with you guys when you're like, "Oh, that's silly," like that's actually not a bad thing. If we have telemetry, because we do. Eric, I'm not going to talk about my day job here, but like I'm sure you guys have plenty of tech in your sock that are multiple uses where uh, and and, and <clears throat> uh, where it can take performance telemetry, network telemetry, security stuff, put it all in, into like, hey, look, this application, like James was just saying, suddenly uh, it, the the performance of it is dropped by sixty percent. That's weird. What's the root cause? Like, is it getting DDoS? Is the network card flaking out? Is the database crashing? What's happening, right? Uh, 
And as we go into what I want to say, like the next generation of uh, uh, where we want to go with this blameless postmortem and, and collaborative, cooperative, oper- like IT operations, yeah. I think that's the only way forward is if we literally have sit next to each other and stop trying to point the finger at everybody else because we're not going to find the next generation, the next iteration of modern complex attacks if we're just looking at, at our version of of the of the uh, data eric am i crazy i mean no i mean the short answer i mean to to um i guess to, to circle around on that uh, a lot of what we do um operationally relies upon non-security data like when we need to, hey, somebody did something somewhere. Who is this? Okay, I have like some, you know, I have their 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 IAM account number or something. Like, like someplace you have to go look it up to actually figure out who a human is. And often that data isn't included in like your telemetry log. It's not included from guard duty. It's not included from some of your 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 tooling you have. So you're out looking at non-security data. Like I'm logging in the workday. Who is this person? You know, I'm logging into my IDP. I'm logging into things that you know you don't normally get telemetry data from as part of your security stack to actually figure out some of these problems, um, which to, to your earlier point, um, it, it kind of branches out into the, the the collaboration between teams, not just between you and IT, not just between you and tech ops. Like half of what we do is when we're investigating, you know, a, a person's laptop or whatever it is for some event that happened is we're talking HR. Who is this person? Who's their manager? How do we find them? Where are they located in the world? Um, so a lot of the information that we do gather for this is non-security related information. At the same time, it's a very manual process because when security people go asking for, you know, HR data, like they're like, uh, are you sure you can have that? Um, so I think if we did have these ties, you know, close ties to different teams, not just, again, your your cloud teams, your IT teams or whatnot, um, we could make this a more collaborative process. Um, and again, it, it also goes to a level of maturity. Like I've been in, again, big companies where we had those relationships built. We had you know, run books and plays that were all built out that included all of our partner teams. Um, okay. I, I'm seeing that it's more the, you know, it's the, the I want to say smaller companies, maybe the less mature companies that are still having these problems. Like to Anton's point that reminds us from 2003, I was at a, um, uh, a Gartner conference two weeks ago um, and I was in a. a I have a phone um, now. Sorry. <laughs> the, the, the Avanta uh, the conference last week. Oh, yeah. That's CISA. Thank you, Avanta. Yeah. And I, I met with uh, you know, about a dozen other people. Um, who were going through like their kind of cloud transformation journey. And I was in there with a couple of people that were from some, you know, some modern day tech companies. And I was in there with people that were from, you know, fairly big, you know, insurance companies, banks and whatnot. And to hear how they were just starting their like migration to cloud, they were still trying to figure out, you know, how do I run a workload in, in Amazon? You know, what, what does a server look like in a data center compared to a cloud environment? And I started to realize it was probably 70% of the room that was at that level of maturity. So some of it comes, I mean, me and Anton are probably spoiled. Like we're, we're living at the top of the hill, right? We're, we're some of the most advanced tech companies in the world. We have access to things that most people don't. And it was really kind of a wake up call for me to realize that I was in that, you know, that 1% and yeah. the rest of the world that, you know, well, at least the other 80% of it was again, they're still living in 2003, 2005. I mean, they're still living yeah. at least a decade behind us. Guys, tell me how we get off the hamster wheel of uh, – because we, we okay. seem to be stuck in in, in, in this loop. Uh, we'll call it the doom loop. Hold your thought just for one second, Anton. Just just just, just one second because um, I know you're dying to say something. But we, we're in this doom yes. loop where we outsource – I see like we outsource the sock. It, it's the same like find an, you know, find an alert, pitch it over the fence. We realize it doesn't work. We bring it back in. And we realize we can't staff it internally because it's not, you know, we don't have the resources and the, and the knowledge and the expertise. We pitch it back out, same thing, and it's just this, this over and over and over again. And the model you proposed at the beginning, Eric, is where you got like the 60, 40, 70, 30, whatever that split is. Um, where does that, where is that uh, from, a, you know, I'll say modern, right? So not the 2003 thing we've been talking about for a bit here. Where is the modern version of that happening? Because there are still entirely too many people that I talk to that if I mention, 
hey, you guys have, you know, you have 30,000, 40,000, 5,000 people, two security people that have security titles, and you're trying to run all of your security tools a la operations on your own. They're like, yeah, yeah, well, we don't outsource anything. I need to, I need to build my own sock. And I, I always want to say like, why? Uh, where is the power balance in, in this? And where are we? Uh, I, some of that will depend on, and this is something else I've learned in the last decade here. Um, a lot of it will depend on the, the, the company type you're at, right? That you can you can be a company that has 100,000 employees and has an IT staff of 10 people, but it might be, you know, 99,000 of your employees are, you know, out digging ditches or something. They're not even involved with technology yeah, yeah, at all, yeah. right? They're construction workers, right? Or you could be 100,000 person companies where everyone's developing and coding, you know, more akin to Google, where you do need that footprint. And so I, I'm, you know, the, the one size fits all, I think, applies here, where um, you, depending on the company, and what you do, where you're at, will we'll kind of uh, dictate some of this. At the same time, like how do we get out of the, the doom loop? Like this is something I've been kind of rallying around for a while um, with, you know, uh, uh, VC friends of mine, investors or whatnot. Um, often, and, and again, I've, I've rent about this for a while, that when someone starts a company, especially in the security space, it, the vast majority of them don't come from that space, like for the, the DNR space, the career operations space. Look at the founders mm-hmm. start the companies. Out of the 30-something companies I've talked to in the last couple of months, I think maybe two or three of them actually came, like I work in SecOps, I want to solve this problem. Mm-hmm. Everybody else was a repeat founder or had no experience in security at all. Um, or they were, you know, a, a program manager or something like that, or a marketing huh. person who was able to land some money and start a company. And how are they getting the information that they're they're going to, you know, what a problem am I going to attack? They're looking at, you know, Ponmon surveys. They're looking at the Verizon DBIR reports. They're talking to CISOs who don't have accurate information to begin with, and they're hearing all these anecdotal, oh, the false positives are destroying us. Oh, the alert fatigue is, you know, killing my team without actually having firm, like real numbers on what they're doing. And so these anecdote, this anecdotal information just keeps on recirculating. This is the doom loop right here. Yeah. Um, whereas CISO would say, oh yeah, the false positives are, are killing us because they read someplace that false positives are killing uh-huh. us. They don't actually know what their people are doing because that requires I mean, resources, work, maturity to actually figure all that out. Where again, if you were to go to like an IT organization or SRE organization, you bet you they have those numbers. Like they are, they are invested in those numbers to, to figure out what they're doing and to see that they're actually delivering value to the company. Securities escape that somehow. And yeah. because, we've, because we've escaped that, there's no way to hold us accountable, right? Like how do you hold the stock accountable for doing a good or a bad job? I don't know. Did you find the bad things? Are we hacked? I actually had a vendor say that to me. Have you been hacked in the last year since you've been using us? I'm like that's the worst metric ever, right? Um <laughs> There is worse. Yeah, there is worse. Yeah, there's, I'm pretty sure there's worse. That MTTD naively applied to alerts is worse because you'd push it to zero and then you're done, right? Mm. Or, or the, the meantime to detect where you're running on scheduled searches. Like, hey, our searches run every six hours. Oh, what's your average meantime? Six hours. Six hours. Wow. Like, that's <laughs> super insightful. Right? Yeah, right. And, and, and people do this. They don't know what else to measure, right? They, they find out MTTD, MTTR, you know, whatever mm-hmm. you Google, you know, security operations or SOC metrics, there'll be a thousand pages that come up and they all quote the same, you know, seven to 12 metrics and they're all MTT something. Yeah. And again, some of them are relevant. Most of them are not. If, if I may build on your point, when you introduced the concept of the VC creating this sort of death loop that um, Raph was talking about. I was going to go the direction of just technology, right? We're just, there's like this sort of grinder of technology coming in and out of the security industry, right? There's just tools everywhere. You can't throw a stone without hitting a hundred different tools. And, um, and because we can't necessarily answer what a good sock looks like, you know, cause we just said, you know, what are the metrics, you know, what, what do those translate mm-hmm. to? It's, we're always hunting that next piece of technology kind of thing. And so the VCs are there to, you know, fulfill that hunger, right. You know, and, um, and very, more often than not is you're not getting the type of information that what you really need to be good. So a lot of people are absorbing technology in search of the answer, as opposed to really kind of finding out what the problem is and then sort of engineering in that direction. And also let's, let's just not forget is even in the CISO space is there's a lot of top down pressure with innovation, right? I mean, we've been, the innovation word has been used a lot. So everybody's like constantly saying, 
well, how do you define success? I mean, if you do security really well, you know the saying, you never know it exists kind of thing. And that doesn't work well in a business environment, much less one that's consuming a great deal of money. And you got to be able to show progress. So we're just kind of reaching and finding these things because nobody's satisfied with we've managed to protect the company this week, you know? So it this hamster wheel, Raph, you're going, my last point is, is that there's a lot of things I think planned. I think the biggest one is just this technology grinder that we're just stuck in. What and about Todd, the... It, it, before we hop to that real quick, what what about like the experience and skill level of the people running socks and building them up? Right. Because, I mean, over the years, we've definitely had the issue of people like to build their empires. Right. Like that helps build apart the thing. So you got people that want to come in and build their own thing and, and do everything separate. Right. It's their resume builder. It's how I'm going to get to the, the next level. How much does that play a part? Like, do we struggle from that? Is that what's keeping us in like 2003 or you know, what is it that if you went to any different sock is holding that back? Or is it the fact that, hey, I come in because not many people get to build a sock on their own, right? You're coming into something existing, just like a CISO walking in. I don't have time to come in and redo the system to do it right. I have a system that's running. I have to keep it running. And you're almost forced into the, yeah, we're stuck in this this millennial here trying to keep going and I'd love to switch it out, but I don't have the resources and the time or the justification to switch it out because it's recognized across the industry that what we're doing is what everybody's doing. So this is kind of timing is fascinating because uh, on Monday I have to record a presentation, which is based on a paper we just finished, but not published that considers this exact point. You have a choice of improving something you built you have a choice of burning it and building from scratch. And how do you decide whether in your particular circumstances you need to push your sock harder, filter logs, improve triage, or do you need to kind of get a flamethrower, burn it, and go do it in a different model? Like it's literally the whole point of the paper is these two things and how to do it. So I, I'm, I'm not going to spoil it because it's written jointly by another, with another company. So I can't really tell more, but it's fascinating that it's still very much a question, like literally that question. So speaking of terrible metrics, uh, and I wanted, I wanted to touch on this before we, before we get out of, uh, how much we ramble is terrible. <laughs> What's that? How much we ramble, including myself. Yes. No, 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 <laughs> this is, this is good. So listen, I, I, Eric, this is possibly a link linked into what you were saying on, on LinkedIn. Um, the, uh, False positives, false negatives conversation, right? Uh, this is this is how uh, many of the SOC as a service places that I've worked at, uh, far too many, had the un- misfortune of being judged by customers, right? Somebody goes, oh, mm-hmm. all you're sending me is false positives. And, and while that would be a semi-fair uh, complaint, it isn't because most of the time all you get is the alert and you don't actually get the access to as the outsource sock to the inside to let, like to actually see what is happening there that's generating that alert. And so uh, how are we – where are we on the discussion of false positives, false negatives in this industry from a tools, from a sock perspective? Because this is a conversation I think is very much modern day sock. Yep. Uh, but it is I, – I, do not think it's a solved problem. But it's also 2003. It's modern and 2003. <laughs> but it definitely is. I mean, when it comes time to what do you want to outsource? I mean, you do have that problem, right? Like if you want to outsource all the things, well, you have to outsource all the relevant data and contextual information they need to do their job, or you'll get back again, a half-baked outcome, right? You have to go and kind of unwrap it and figure out what I do this next because the t- people I'm paying to handle this didn't have the right information to actually you know, close the loop on it. Um, so th- then, you, then you're then you starting to, to back yourself up a little bit saying, okay, well, I can't share, you know, my, my Google Drive data, my, you know, Workday data, whatever with this third party because legal won't allow it. So what can I do? Well, you start kind of reducing the scope of what they're handling. And you end up doing something which, I mean, to their credit, which is, is super successful, is something like you know, CrowdStrike's complete offering or, or, or Sentinel-1's uh, MDR service mm-hmm. where they are handling a sliver of things that are finite, 
like just your laptops, right? Yeah. They have this ability into, you know, hey, Eric logged on, he opened a browser, he visited some, you know, download site, he downloaded something bad, he clicked on it, we stopped it. Like it's it's a it's a it's a closed loop ecosystem where they don't really need additional context beyond that to tell you what happened and then stop it. If it's more of like, hey, they land on your laptop and I see them lateral move off the laptop, now we lost visibility. Yeah. Right. That that second stage is when you start getting you start having issues. So, like what I've found when we we outsource things, it's it's what can I outsource effectively with the amount of data that I can actually share. So th- this is the this is I think where the we, once we get over our uh, once we whether whether it's ego whether it's empire building whatever it is once we recognize and come to the understanding that. Um, I'd say the vast majority of enterprises, SMEs, all the way down, down market and up market, probably aren't going to build the comp- short of the Fortune 250, maybe 100, aren't going to build the self-contained all you ever need SOC. Right at some point, you're going to need security as a service, MDR, MDR adjacent, whatever those technologies are. Mm. How you integrate them into the capacity and capability that you currently have on staff is, I think, where I, I think that's what's going to – the thing that we need to be working on, right? The The challenge I'm going to pose is how do uh, – how do let's, let's look at it from the vendor side. How do – as a vendor, how do I know uh, how to approach a customer that says, I need, I need help. I need you to do X, Y, and Z for me, my NDR, my EDR, and my SIM because I know the, the triads, uh, Anton's thing. So I need you to do all of those three things for me. And here's the three pieces of technology that do that. I'm going to give you logins to those. Go, right? How do you you build that trust beyond that? Because that's not where the line stops. So what are you actually asking? How to do it for a client? Or because it sounds like you plan to outsource the management of your outsourcers. Like you're going to give somebody access, somebody else access to your MDR, which is, of course, an outsourced service. ED, so I'm, I'm confused EDR, about sorry. this example. Oh, EDR, okay. EDR, so, N- NDR, EDR. SIM, mm-hmm. all those. Right, right. Networked, okay. and NSM, mm-hmm. whatever your network term is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's a, again, that's kind of a, a 2003 question, it feels to me as well. Outsource all the things, right? Because you don't know what the, the outcomes are you're expecting. You're just pushing the problem away, right? Where today, well, I guess today, for us, it's bold enough to be in modern tech companies that have the resources for it. Like we've shifted to a model where it's commodity versus bespoke, right? What are the things that are bespoke to you? Those are the things you should be working on. What are the things that are commodity? You should be able to acquire or buy those things. So mm-hmm. if you think about the like detections, like some a simple example, like why why should my team write a detection to find an open S3 bucket? I know I can buy that or get that from someplace else for free or no work. Um, so we've kind of shifted to a model like that where we want to focus on building things that are bespoke to our company, the things that we've identified as risks or not, the things that we know we need to monitor ourselves, like our own product internally, mm-hmm. some of the things that we can come out that are kind of commoditized. Again, like, uh, you know, outsourcing the, um, um, they're kind of the people watching your laptops. Again, CrowdStrike, Sentinel mm-hmm. One, you know, other people who do that stuff. That's a commodity thing I could buy and outsource. Versus bespoke, um, yeah. so that, that's that's been a big focus for us. Um, at least in my my last three three gigs again, but we're kind of spoiled being in kind of a mature tech company. I had some kind of a Visio diagram that decides for you in my Gartner days for exact that point. <laughs> I need to find it. It was like a, almost like a little tool to assess things, and then they go into two buckets: outsource, don't outsource. I don't have it in front of me, but I, I know it existed because I made it. <laughs> yeah, but do you think that's a? But you're there's you said earlier, though. Yeah. Sorry, I interrupted you. Um, yeah. Where that makes a lot of sense. And I almost thought to myself as well that there should be like a little tool or equation you should you could use. Yep. I don't, I don't think it's that simple. Jim, what were you saying? I Well, first of all, not to pick on you, Eric, but the, you're a 1% company, right? You have yeah. that, you know, <laughs> I, I try to, by the way, I try to veer away from the word maturity, 
Um, I've had a lot of vendors come to me and say I'm immature, right? Like my, my program is <laughs> crap. And I'm like, wait a second, you don't really understand what the barriers to success I'm dealing with. And it may not have to do with maturity, but so I would say is that you're an advanced, you have an advanced capability and understanding of security and what you want, right? And I think, you know, the concept of, you know, unique bespoke scenarios, because you have the ability to interpret those things and the awareness of these commoditized capabilities, right? And I think there are small, medium, even large companies like you, like we talked about earlier, like you felt that, I mean, everywhere I go, the majority is still like doing things that we've been talking about to Anton's point since 2003. So, but you have to think about the implications of that, to be able to identify those situations, having the knowledge and the wherewithal to know mm-hmm. how to separate those things. Because I still interact with people who talk about, like, I'm, I'm with you. I think you need to isolate. If this does really well, then go do all your laptops here. Go do all your cell phones this way and just just start dropping walls around how you bucket your business. And then, like you said, focus on the you know, the unique pieces of it. But there's a couple of things that come into play to that, right? People are still talking about, well, how do I correlate? How do I wrap this in? Mm-hmm. How do I get a single pane yeah. of glass? All this kind of stuff, which brings us back to just have somebody go manage my SIM and EDR in the cloud for me. So just like people outsourcing, almost like contracting the skill to do it. So you have all these like handles that people are trying to pull. And I think fundamentally it comes down to where they are in that phase. And then just do I bite into this technology? And don't even get me started with, you know, everybody moving in the Microsoft direction because it's available part of their E5 license kind of thing, you know. So it's, I get what you're saying, but I think we have to recognize that it's real easy for folks like you who live in that space, that 1%, 3%, 5% high-end echelon, and everybody else is just still trying to, like, I just want one throat to choke. You know, just get this off my plate. I'm going to buy cyber insurance. Somebody monitor my network, mm-hmm. right? And we have to find that way of a path to get to, here's a formula. So Anton's point is dead spot on. And you're like it, you know, maybe maybe we should build something like this or rebuild it from Anton's perspective and and say, here here's a formulaic approach to this decision kind of thing. I, See, I, what, I, totally, I totally agree with you on that one, Jim. And this is partially the reason why I've been kind of releasing all the data I have been. Mm. Because in, until some mature organization says, this is what we do, like the small organizations won't have an idea. Again, which is why they're kind of in this doom loop. So I'm, I'm hoping by, you know, by sharing this information out, the people that don't have the resources, don't have the ability to capture that, can interpret that at least to, to their scale. And get a better idea of what they're doing so they can then start that kind of journey. Um, again, the, the data might not map to them exactly, but at least they have, even if it's a 50,000 foot view of it, mm-hmm. it's still better than what they have today, which is zero, right? To yeah. get them out yeah. of that loop. Um, yes. So I've, stopped, I've got more coming. I'm still, I'm working on a, a big manifesto on metrics yeah. for the software. Oh boy. Yes. That, that I'm, I'm working to hopefully release before the end of the year here, which I, Man, I hope this helps the other security operations teams, especially the ones that are that want to go on this journey. Yeah, it's interesting to to because I sit here and think about the question of how do people like if I were to go out and be in the sock now, how do I know what these different techniques are and these tactics are outside of the majority probably of what's published out there is what we've been talking about. You know, if I go look up how to run a sock. I'm going to get the 2003 version, right? Like how do we how do we get to that point? And I think. You know, honestly, it does quite a disservice as we sit here and just constantly point out like, oh, well, in the, if you're in the 1%, you can do this because it's just a scapegoat for everybody else that's in the 99% yeah. to say, oh, I can't do that. I'm not a one percenter, right? Like it, we, we should be pushing that down and saying, hey, look, everybody can do this, but here's the blueprints for how we start figuring this stuff out. And, you know, it is much more of an art than it is, you know, a, a general cover that goes across to everybody. Like every business is going to be different. How do you get somebody that can come in and and step back, look and see what you have going on and say, okay, we can do this here. We can do that there. But, you know, I, I said this before with the CISO role, like how many times do you expect that with like CISO, but they don't have that capability a lot of times to step back and say, hey, this is what's wrong. We need to fix it because we have to show ROI. We have to show our value. We have to show this stuff and to say, hey, we're not going to have a lot of forward movement here for the next year because we're going to shake them things up and actually fix it doesn't go well, right? Yeah. And so it, it's a hard thing to try to balance those. Anton, I think I think the trend that I'm uh that that's show, shaping up in my mind if I look across mm-hmm. the last say start at 2000 and work our way now. And you guys can maybe discuss this if you want, but 
it started as an all or nothing. You either outsource your your security detection yeah. or you don't. It is now moved into what Eric's talking about. It, so phase two was selectively uh, outsourcing. But you're kind of and- quoting by 2015 the Gartner paper that every sock is a hybrid sock, mixed outsourcing within house. This like gives me flashbacks, but at least we moved from 2003. I love the fact that you say every back in 2015, and we're not even there yet. So no, 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 so no. I know, but it's like a, yeah, it was it was kind of a future line, not a current state, but like every sock will be a hybrid sock. Yeah, but I think I think we're past, and, and but we did it by functional, like it went from all or nothing to separated by functional functional areas. Uh, monitor, monitor my applications, my servers, my cloud, my endpoints, my firewalls, my this and that and that. And now uh, we're recognizing that threats don't operate in silos and trying to detect them in silos and detect threats in silos is trying to like, it's like trying to figure out whether the light socket works by sticking your finger in it. Like Mm -hmm. it's not a good idea. Um, And so now it's okay. What pieces of the detection is it uh, identify, protect, detect, respond, recover. How much of each of those five vertical slices and how deep do we go uh, internally here, right? Do I have 10 people or do I have 100 people? Uh, what level of skill do I have? How, what is my access to my, you know, new or current technology? Uh, mm-hmm. you know, how much time are we allocated? Like all these things are starting to factor in. Yep. And I think that's the change. That's the curve that we're on because we're eventually – and like I think you're correct. Back in 2015, every sock will be a hybrid sock, but it's going to be a hybrid sock in that yes. we're going to get economies of scale from the commodity stuff Eric's talking about. Yes. So that we're not measuring how many alerts you've sent over to the uh, or how many false positives you have, but we're talking about how much workload you can take off the top yes. of the actual sock analyst that you're <clears throat> paying for at a fully burdened rate, like. Right. So I think that's where we're ultimately going in the arc. But I think what that does is that puts us closer to 70, 30, and maybe even beyond that in terms of what do you outsource 70? What do you keep in house bespoke 30? Yeah. Yeah. I I, I mean, this is actually funny because, uh, sorry, go ahead. Rock, paper, scissors, guys. I'd actually go the opposite direction with that, Raph. What? Where, (laughs) yeah, right. The, the, the better that your systems get at, at uh, kind of uh, filtering all the mess you have coming in from the machine-based side and the human-based side, the better you get at the machine-based side, machine-based detections, right? Weeding out duplicate tickets, going after the benign tickets, business exceptions, cases, whatever, knocking out all the low-hanging fruit. You should start to see the number of machine-based detections people have to handle reduce. Okay. means the time for handling people will increase. Like if, if the pie is finite, it's 100%, right? If it's 50-50 today, if you start decreasing the number of machine-generated alerts that you're looking at, yeah, through better pre-processing through you know magical black boxes, whatever you want to do, mm-hmm. then they'll naturally you'll have more room for people reports. Um, and so I, I've seen it some fairly mature organizations that have this um, kind of a hybrid sock model where it's about 70, 30, the opposite way. About 30%, 20 to 30% is machine-based detections people are having to look at. The other 70, 80% are human-generated events. So I will give you, and and I'm going to take the contrarian point here, and I will give you that that would be correct if uh, SOC utilization was a zero-sum game. Like when you take away from technology, you give to people. I I don't think that's how reality things work. Uh, and make, like in an ideal state where you can control that, I think what ends up happening is as you as the machine, uh, whatever machine learning, AI, magical algorithms take over and, and start filtering down the amount of crap that you have to by yourself, by the analysts look through. Rather than spending more time actually doing more relevant work, I think the analysts are going to, in, in in most realities, get pulled into something else because oh, you've got nothing to do here. Let me give you something, and you end up being pulled. And that's why I don't think it's as I think in a zero sum game where you control all the variables. Yes, but I think in reality, Eric, though, and in, in, in the reality that many of perhaps our listeners. Uh, and, and and the security teams out there operate. I don't think it's a zero sum game. I think if you if you if the machines start to take more work, they'll just be more work. Well, they're always going to be more work. 
But it's a matter of the you know, the the things that humans should be dealing with are human issues, right? The machine-based issues, as they, again, decrease, whether that's via, you know, you have automation. You automate away all the duplicate tickets. You automate away all the you know, benign thingies. You know, however you do it, I mean, the idea is to just continuously get better at your detections, right? Which hopefully it means you're, you're generating fewer things, less noise. As, you, as your precision rates increase, as you get more narrowly focused on the things you want to detect, um, and again, that, that naturally just decreases that 50-50 split as the machine-based detections go down. Yes, there's going to be more work. Like maybe they spend that time doing, you know, project-based work instead. You know, maybe you, you get to Anton's 40-40-20 split or whatnot. But I guess the, the, the main takeaway here is that the machine-based detections should go down over time as you get better at doing it. Are you concerned at all as uh, – we've got nine minutes, so I'm going to ask this one. I'll let you guys – I'll toss this – pull the pin and toss this grenade into the pile – um, does, are you concerned that as, uh, we start to, I don't want to use the word tune, but as we sharpen the stick, the pointy end of the detection stick and, uh, technology starts to whittle away the things that humans have to look at, that the adversaries are going to hide in the, in the stuff that we're whittling away. Uh, this kind of very generic comment, which I think without context, it, it's hard to judge. It would be some version of it depends would be the answer. So uh, I'm so, not sure so how like when, when, a precise when we, answer can get you. Well, so when, when, we, when, we, when we look at, let me try to ask this more concretely. So when you, uh, the, the problem with, with <clears throat> you know, traditional SIM tuning, right, is that it, you start to, in, in the effort to reduce noise, sometimes we reduce things that, in a sequence of events could be actually a problem. Yeah, for sure. Right. And yeah. so as we, so following that and Eric saying, okay, using technology to tune some of that out, you can't, you, I don't believe you're ever going to be able to take the human out of it sufficiently enough to deburden us enough. Uh, because there's like, you can't, you, you can't expect the tech to think. And the, the ad, the adversary, the, the threat actor, the bad guy, gal, person, robot, dog is going to be finding new and novel ways of hiding amongst the noise, which you are essentially tuning out. I, I'll go, I'll go on record and say, I absolutely believe that it'll happen. Anything, the more and more you automate and the more and more you try to sharpen the end for every filter you put in, that's one filter you didn't put in as an example, right? So as you try to bring something more and more into focus, there are naturally things that become more and more out of focus, right? And so if you begin to continue to turn that knob, you create patterns and those patterns where you it creates these blind spots and any good adversary is going to go after blind spots. They're going to try to find anything and it's going to start with, you know, what's the easiest thing to do. And then it's going to just kind of work upward from there. I'm not saying that you can't do automation. I'm not saying you can't improve it, but I think what if for every piece you automate, um, you should consider sort of sort of a governance of that automation, something to double check it, something to verify it, something to look through it. It really kind of goes to Eric's point, right? If you have more and more happening in the technology, you do more with people, but I think there's that other element of is monitor the monitors a little bit, right? So let's spend more time at a slightly higher level letting the technology do. But I absolutely believe that. I, I'm, I'm a firm believer in threats, find ways into things that are predictable. And when you create a certain pattern that you're going to look for, by definition, that, that it creates predictability for things that you aren't looking for. Anyway, that's my two cents. Oh, that's the cat and mouse game, though, right? Yeah, I mean, 100%. We, we do one thing, they do something else. We do another, they find, you know, they do something else. The question is, you know, how much does it change the typical role of the analyst from going in and looking at typical alerts to now saying, okay, well, we've got all this automation. Now we've got to kind of switch. We turn it at a, not threat hunting, but that type of idea of, okay, we've got to, now let's start really looking at how do we look at these automations that we're doing of how do we get around that? You know, like how, how would somebody bypass this? And, you know, your focus is now more on breaking the automation you just built versus looking at alerts and stuff like that are coming in. Does it create that whole nother profile? I, I think you said it with regards to threat hunting. I think you start sort of strengthening defenses, strengthening your automation Right. And then you start looking at the echo of what the potentiality. And so your technology is optimized and you're optimizing your people. It's going to raise the bar of the skill requirement, which, you know, you tapped onto that third rail earlier in the conversation. But I, I think, you know, if I look at it from a very far distance, I know I'm being a little bit 
you know, pedantic and perfect world scenario here. But um, I think if you, you can find ways of taking people and pointing them at the technology and looking at where cracks may come based on how that, that, how that environment's responding and looking for the bad guys. I'd actually maybe take take a a slightly different point of view on that, where like our our security controls are designed to basically introduce friction, right? The more detections we have, the more hurdles people have to overcome to, you know, penetrate your network, say conventional infrastructure attack. I want to, you know, pop a shell on one of Linux boxes. If we had enough friction to that, again, to to your, exactly your point, Jim, they'll they'll look Mm -hmm. for an easier way, right? Mm -hmm. Which is why phishing is still so popular. Phishing is cheap, efficient, and it works, I mean, our red team here, they fish people all day long. Um, it's effective. It's cheap. It doesn't cost anything. So why would I take the harder route of trying to like avoid your automations, your detections or whatnot, when I can just send out 100 phishing emails and be on someone's laptop by tomorrow morning? Well, that implies that you know you're going to get detected, right? I mean, you know what I'm saying? It, 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 yeah. is, well, I, I, it also kind of precipitates like why we've seen attacks go from, hey, I'm going to attack a zero-day in your Linux box to... The, the, the huge shift we've seen in the last few years about them going after applications now. Like they're, go, they're going after your application. They're going after your APIs. They're going after the things that have to do in that space where, again, we don't have many detections watching our applications today. Like yeah. at least we don't. That's we, a I fun don't podcast right there, talking application security. By yeah. The way. Well, as I see, <laughs> I see the number of detections start to, to, as we get better at it, the detections will start dropping for the, for the infrastructure land, which is okay. conventionally today. As you start moving towards these new attack surfaces, like we just start looking at our SaaS applications, right? There's, there's already SaaS security posture management tools. As we get visibility into that, as we get more visibility into our application, like we're, we're starting to write detections, bespoke detections for our product, looking for bad things, because that's where the people, that's where the bad guys are hammering, Right. As we start to shift our detection strategies to our other attack surfaces, like our application, our SaaS applications, as we start using detections to, to monitor like governance, like, hey, someone's, you know, I saw admin logged into your uh, cloud environments, so logged in your cloud environments. Are they authorized to do that? Who's doing it? We're going to log it, make sure we record it. The, the, the scenarios that we're going to start using detections for will shift as they shift towards, again, these blind spots, our SaaS applications, our, our internal applications, start enforcing some of our governance rules. Like, I think we're going to start seeing the, the, the needle go back to the direction because hmm. we're going to be in this loop, right? Where now we have all these new detections, these new alerts that we don't have to do with. And it'll go back to being a manual process where it's going to take a lot of manpower until we gradually learn, like with infrastructure, how do we automate these things away? How do we filter them out? It's going to be a new, it's almost like a green field for us. Well, maybe and- also... One last point on that is maybe also why we're doing that is because that's where the business is moving. So the yeah. the attacks, the detection, and the business are all moving in the same sort of direction, albeit in different phases, right? Business first kind of thing, uh, then hackers, then then security kind of thing. So it, I, I will say this: I do find it interesting. You came right back to the loop, <laughs> right? So are we saying that? You know, are we going to do it? But uh, those are actually. Amazing point. Anton, uh, you've got, I'm going to give you uh, one minute before we sign off. Uh, You want final say? Final word here? I mean, we did, admittedly, at least I feel like in the last part of the discussion, we definitely rambled kind of in the broader philosophical implications (laughs) of much of this and and far away from the modern SOC uh, uh, defining it. But I think that one thought that did catch, um, uh, that, that one thread I want to pull in the future is that while I did spend exactly that time back in the Gartner days comparing the 2003 SOC model to the modern model and finding out the diff, and there's a paper, of course, written on this. Of course. But, but here's the problem with that. The problem with that is that nowadays we live in the world where we all quietly admit that the whatever elements that pile up in the modern SOC model are only for the one percenters. And this is like I just presented to somebody, to a very engineering-led Google-style DNR team, and uh, they were very impressed and all that. But I'm also realizing that it relies on pillars that they don't have. <laughs> and our attempts to create the autonomic security operations vision and some other more portable modern SOC ideas, they're still mostly resonating with the elites, like, I don't know, Eric's team. And, and they're not resonating with people who want to debate SOC versus NOC, and which is like a really hot debate in 1999. And, and, and I, I think for them, it's unclear. And today, and, for, and very much today, too. So uh, I don't, it's, it makes me a little bit, a bit depressed. So I fear there's, I had a really scary image of SOC challenges that somebody put together last year. And I looked at this image and I thought, 
holy cow, I had the same slide when I worked for Net Forensics in 2003. It was literally the slide with current challenges, which to me reminded me of the time. And then somebody really intelligent, I won't name them, but I think Eric may know them, asked, Anton, draw the same slide for 2043. How are we not going to be in the same bucket? And that is, was a very enlightening moment. I'm still thinking of that question, by the way. I, I, guys, I think we, I think the wheel turns very slowly in this because evolution is met with resistance by those that are not in that top tier. And so it is up to us and in some extent, the providers uh, and then people like you, Eric, who publish this kind of stuff to drag along everybody else and give them, take away the excuses for not moving forward. All right. And on that note, uh, that is the hour and, and a little bit over uh, that we've got for today. Guys, thank you so much for spending your time uh, and, uh, and and doing this. Uh, this is uh, another one of these conversations where we're going to do this again next year. And I hope it's a little bit different. Uh, I do. James, I, we, we've decided, I think, uh, collectively without anybody saying it, actually, Anton may have said it, that we're going to do this ver- version of this for AppSec. Uh, and I want to invite a WAF vendor just just so we can have a really good conversation. Uh, a firewall vendor? <laughs> yes. It's a firewall websites, right? That's what you're talking about. That's right? exactly what I'm talking about. All right. Um, I, I'm thinking I'm thinking of some some folks I, I'd like to have on the show. But uh, if you're listening to this and you work for a WAF or an application firewall vendor or an API firewall vendor or one of those, uh, get a hold of me because I want to t- I want to bring you on this conversation because. Um, it's part of the modern sock. Anyway, Anton, Jim, Eric, uh, thank you so much for your time. James, always a good have you aboard. Folks, thank you for listening. This has been another Down the Security Rabbit Hole podcast talking about the modern sock from 2003. And uh, on that note, we'll see you guys later. Cue the music. We're out. Bye-bye. This is Bella. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to leave my dad a review and share this with your friends. Bye.